0: Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Riley Sturman. If we go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we're going to start today. The year was 2007. I was in fourth grade and my sister and I, I know, I do look great for my age. Uh, <laughs> my sister and I uh, were out in our front yard It was a Wednesday night. I know that because we were about to go to church because we're Christians, and uh, we were waiting for our parents to get ready, and I know that because that's what we spend most of our life doing. And so when you're waiting for your parents, you find ways to entertain yourself, uh, usually outside in my household, um, because if you stay inside, you get a job to do while you wait for them. So we were outside. And we had come up with a very fun game that we were playing, wherein my sister uh, would take a soccer ball and kick it as far as she possibly could, and I would chase it down and bring it back. Uh, Some of you may know this game by its other name, Fetch. Fetch. Um, but we thought we had created this game, and it was a grand time, and that's how we spent a lot of time this particular evening, Uh, until my sister, um, she was quite a good athlete actually, she kicked it just a little bit too far for me, and it landed in the dreaded neighbor's backyard. And these were neighbors that we knew, we had relationship with, so it wasn't a huge deal, uh, but we were in a time crunch, we knew. Um, our parents said five minutes, so we had at least 45. Um, but the clock is ticking, and uh, we we didn't know what to do. Do we knock on the door? You know, they might not be home, and we can't get the ball back then. Or... Uh, do we just go through the gate on the side of the house that is unlocked? Would they mind? Is that weird? So like uh, the good logical fourth grader, you'll see this as an oxymoron. uh, As the good logical fourth grader that I was, I decided to go with uh, C, none of the above. I'm not going to go through the house or through the gate. I'm going to hop the fence. Um, That'll be the good way to go through. So Um, ignoring the open gate that would have taken five seconds, I climb up the fence and over and grab the ball and throw it back. And again, ignoring this open gate that is easier to access from this side, I climb up the fence. I hop over to the uh, other side. I had just crossed over when the post in my hand snaps because we were in Abilene and everything there is at least 50 years old, um, post in my hand snaps and I fall backwards. And as I'm falling, I have time to reflect <laughs> on my choices. I admit to myself, I've made some mistakes along the way, make some deals with God. Um, but I happened to land with my foot just perfectly wedged in between the ground and a tree root. Snap. We did not go to church that night. <laughs> we went to the emergency room. I tell you this story, Uh, not to um, gross anyone out or freak anyone out, uh, just to remind you to go through the gate once in a while. No, Um, I tell you this story because what I didn't know then and what I know now is that the path that we choose has a lot of power over the life that we're living. The path we choose to go, the route we choose to take, can influence our life more than I think we realize And like I say, this is something I know now, uh, but it's something that the early Christians discussed quite a bit uh, when talking about their brand new religion after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. Uh, But before we get into that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your blessings that you've given us today. We thank you for making us brand new, giving us hearts eyes, and minds that are open, ready, and willing to receive your word. God, I pray that you would speak through me today. I pray that your truth would be heard, and I pray that Christ would be formed in our hearts. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to go ahead and start reading there, uh, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Some of you may know that Christianity did not start out with the name that it has now. It took a while for followers of Jesus to start calling themselves Christians or to start calling that religion Christianity. Instead, they started out by calling this brand new religion the Way. And this, it was called that to communicate something about the movement that they were a part of. Because it wasn't a single one-time decision that they were making. It, it wasn't a box to check. Uh, it wasn't a line to sign or a hand to shake. This was a lifelong journey that they were attempting to walk along the way. And our New Testament is just flooded with imagery that supports this, in, including this passage. Paul repeatedly uses the word for walking in his letters when it comes to following Christ, almost 30 times in all of his letters. He extends the metaphor here and he talks about two different paths to walk. And I'm going to focus on the first one for a while the path of the flesh. And it's important to understand something so that we don't get the wrong idea. Paul does not believe that our physical flesh, our God-given and created bodies are inherently evil. And I think it's important we're on the same page about that. God breathed life into our bodies and he didn't just call it good. This was the first thing in creation that he called very good, the human. This isn't something that Paul suddenly thinks is evil on its own. The problem comes from how we translate this word that Paul uses the word sarks. That's S A R X. It's a confusing word. It carries a lot of connotation with it that's really difficult to get into English with just one word. And because it communicates more than just that physical body, we have a lot of trouble translating it, which explains why we have so many different translations if you look through different ones. Uh, Some use just the word flesh, like we have here. Some say a physical nature or human nature. Some say physical desire or human desire. We also have lower nature, uh, sinful nature, corrupt nature, and self-indulgence. There's a wide variety of ways that we translate this one word. It can't really be summed up with one corresponding English word, just like a lot of our words in our Bible. And there's been plenty of ink spilled on how to best understand this concept, and it's a discussion for a much more capable preacher than myself. Uh, But I think probably the best and simplest way I have seen this ever explained was from Scottish theologian William Barclay. In his book entitled Flesh and Spirit, he says this, The flesh is what man has made himself in contrast with man as God has made him. The flesh is man as he has allowed himself to become in contrast with man as God meant him to be. With this quote, Barclay points toward a corruption that happened somewhere along the way. There is now something about humanity that just doesn't quite align with God's original plan for us. Basically, ever since sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, something has been deeply wrong within us. And that's what Paul calls the sarks. And what is wrong is not the human body that God created. It is the reality that we have created. Because of sin, we have been walking the wrong path. This path. what What Paul would call the path of the flesh. Some of you may know this path. You're probably familiar with it and its impact. It's a path that gives into temptation and evil. It's a path that holds on to anger and resentment. It's a path that holds on to pride and control. Some of you may have felt stuck on this path. Maybe that's you today. This is a path that's very easy to slip onto. These shoes can feel very comfortable at first, and they can take you pretty far, but it's not long before they wear out, before you're in pain, before you're in danger. This is a dangerous path that we walk, that we have created. With every step... We look at our feet and watch them take us further and further away from the garden of Eden, from perfect relationship with God, from the future that he always envisioned for us. This is the path that we have created for ourselves. And it can often feel inevitable. It can often feel like we are stuck forever on this path. And we might have been if it wasn't for Christ. When Christ died, he bore the full weight of consequences of everything that happened on this path on him. He took everything done before him and everything that would be done after him and died for the complete forgiveness of all of humanity, of all of us trapped on this path. And it's important to remind ourselves that Jesus didn't just come to do, he came to undo. Undo the reality that we have created on this path. Undo the complete enslavement to sin and temptation and failure. To undo the lies that Satan constantly feeds us that worm their way thoroughly into our heads. To undo the distance we've created between ourselves and God. To undo the constant, unwavering belief that we are not worthy. That is what Jesus came to accomplish on the cross. It wasn't so much something new as something old, the original plan that we had worked our way out of. He came to wipe all of this away in his perfect sacrifice, and we are able to rise to new life in baptism, just as he did. And with all this comes the creation of a new path, the path of the Spirit, a path that didn't quite exist before. Yes, these are mine. Thank you for asking. Matthew chapter 7 tells us that only a few people find this path that's narrow. Unfortunately, not many walk it. But he also tells us that this is the path that leads to life, with a capital L. This is the destination of the way. It's not so much a location, it's a state of being. It's life. It's reality itself. It's truth. Paul instructs us in verse 16 to walk. By the Spirit. And and when I think of this, I envision us as little children finally taking our first steps with the Spirit along to guide us along this path. Multiple times we're called spiritual infants in our New Testament. And that's what the Spirit is here to do. With every single step on this path, we're getting called closer and closer back to Eden. Back to that perfect relationship we had with the Father. Back to perfection, beauty. Back to a place devoid of shame and failure. Back to a perfect love. With Christ, we have this freedom. For the first time in human history, with Christ, there was a second path to walk. We weren't doomed to the old ways anymore. And we didn't just clean up the shoes that walked this path. We crucified them. Can I get an amen here? We put them to death. We have brand new shoes on this path. We crucified our old selves and our new selves were raised to life in baptism with Christ. And the really incredible part here for me is that Christ did not die to force us down this path, but to give us the choice. Paul says that we were called to be free, and then he turns and immediately warns them against using that freedom to go back down this path, because that's still an option for us, and some people will do that. There's a board game that a lot of my friends like to play, that basically boils down to keeping your identity a secret for as long as possible. And every round, you have the option to make a choice in secret, either as the good guy or the bad guy. And people see the effects of that choice, but it's always surrounded with mystery, with not knowing. And you spend the entire game trying to figure out what choices are being made in secret here. The life of the Christian isn't quite like that. Paul tells us it's going to be pretty obvious what road you're walking. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Some of these sound pretty shocking to our modern ears, but they were rampant in this culture at the time. They were absolutely everywhere. It was a culture driven by impulse, by desire, by pleasure, fleeting, momentary. So basically, what Paul says is the way you know you're on the path of the flesh is that you look just like everybody else. You blend in, you're at home in the world. You're not careful about the steps that you take. This isn't the way that Jesus talked about. Paul says it should also be obvious if you've chosen the path of the Spirit, because then your life is flooded with what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. And I hate to say it, but I think we do ourselves a little bit of a disservice by focusing only on this part of the passage. When we do this, we're getting the cause and and effect relationship out of whack a little bit. We create this tendency to hold up this list of fruits of the Spirit and compare it against our lives. And if it doesn't match up, we're frustrated. Well, obviously I must be on the wrong path. Obviously, I don't have the spirit if these things are not always present in my life. We have to remember, this is the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the Christian. The farmer doesn't get frustrated that his tree's not growing apples if he never planted the seed. That's the step that we have to take. Before Paul even goes near this list... He instructs us to walk with the spirit because the spirit desires what is contrary to this path. Our focus should not be on the fruit that the spirit brings, but on the spirit himself and finding a way to join him on this path. Because once we do that, this is the fruit that the spirit brings And it's at this point that I want to make sure you hear me pretty clearly, because I'm not saying that the Spirit is only present when you're walking the right path, when you're making the right choices. I don't want you to hear that the Spirit lives on this side of the equation, because I know we've walked a lot on this side, even after Jesus' sacrifice, even after the crucifixion of our old self. That's not what I'm saying. I want to remind you of a truth found in Psalm 139. Some of you will be pretty familiar with this. This is where uh, we recognize uh, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, but right before this section, uh, we find something very telling about the Spirit of God. Verse 7 Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise, On the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. The spirit is not more or less present in your life, no matter which side you find yourself on today. The big difference here between these two paths over here, the spirit is leading you by the hand and over here, you're running away from him. It's at this point, we need to realize what a gift the Holy spirit really is. Everything on the list from the path of the flesh is a choice that we make, but the fruits of the spirit are gifts that we're given. We won't get them by struggling harder, or acting better. We get them by walking closer. Closer to the spirit guiding us down the path that we were always meant to walk. Closer on the path to the father. This is a choice that you get to make. Not just when you learn about Jesus, not just when you're baptized, You get this choice every moment of every day that you are alive. And if you feel stuck on this path here, the path of the flesh, the path of anger and hatred and resentment and self-doubt and fear and temptation and addiction and power, control and shame and self-hatred, if you feel stuck on this side, know that there is hope. The kind of hope only a perfect Savior could bring. You get to choose to walk with the Spirit, and every step of the way to receive a message of pure, unending love. The choice, as Paul paints it, seems like a no brainer. Which one will you choose? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the choice that you have given us. We thank you for your perfect sacrifice that brings hope, that brings love and redemption. God, we recognize our shortcomings and we recognize that we cannot do this alone. And we ask for your intervention. Help guide us along the right path, help our choices and decisions. Help us make every moment of our lives an invitation for your spirit and may we always seek the fruit that he brings. We pray all these things in your son's holy name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify or Stitcher wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.